I have found the ones from the Power of Three podcast. Excellent. I shall take the patrol and destroy them. No, capture them alive. We must listen to their broadcast first. Leader? That jarring cacophony tells you that you're listening to another episode of the Power of Three podcast. Scotland's number one, or so we like to say, podcast full of fun games, books, audios, television, basically anything to do with Doctor Who that we can manage to get our hands on. I'm Kenny Smith. I'm back as ever, and I'm not alone this week. I've got two compadres with me, or co-conspirators, as the late, great Tom Harris, even though he's not dead, like to say... We've got one familiar face or familiar voice and one who you won't have met before. So, familiar voice, please introduce yourself for the listeners. Hi Kenny, uh, this is John Bolan. Uh, I don't know if I'm playing Jamie or Victoria in this uh, companion <laughs> scenario, but uh, I'm just happy to be here as always. Well, you do have quite nice legs, so you can be Jamie. And, uh, and Everyone enough. says that. Yeah, well, well, actually, no, we'll, we'll just stop there because we don't want to scare off our new co-conspirator. <laughs> co-conspirator number two, who are you? And say hello. Hello, Kenny. Hello, John. My name is Stephen Day. I have been a Doctor Who fan since probably 1975. It's one of my earliest memories of being terrified watching Daleks go past Tom Baker as he stood against a corridor wall. And I was terrified at the same time absolutely hooked <laughs> that's the best way to be see that's where your memories start three years before mine because i'm invasion of time episode six with k9 mark ii being brought into the console room that's my first memory and due to a temporal anomaly that i've still not managed to um, work out my memories are, are, are go back even further than that and i can't understand why because you know i still i'm in my late 20s <laughs> <laughs> it's all gone wibbly wobbly timey wimey once again john Sure very, has. very bizarre. Well, Stevie, welcome. And uh, we should let the listeners know that you and I know each other because we work together. We work together. But we also are pals, aren't we? Well, let's definitely. not just bring work into it all. But yeah, we do work together. But we we have a common interest in all things Doctor Who, which I think I discovered on day one of you working with us. Yeah, I think most people discover that within day one of working of me. It's like, oh, here's Kenny. Oh, what's that? Oh, he's got a TARDIS in his desk. Yeah, that's pretty much me sorted. At least I don't bring my um, character options drashigs in anymore and attack myself with them in a comedy puppet style, which John has been subject to in a previous episode, which the listeners couldn't see. Still getting therapy for that. So thanks yeah. for the reminder. Yeah, and uh, the, the latest check will be on the way later on. So I do remember... Kenny, your first yeah. day or your second day mm-hmm. having to remote into your machine. Yeah. Because you had a problem and there popped up the TARDIS. <laughs> nice TARDIS console. And I thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. we're, we're going to be pals. Yeah. For those who are interested, it's a McGann TV movie TARDIS console still, which is also the same image that I have in my laptop at home. So, yeah. There. And curiously then, enough, still against the rules. You know, you were never meant to have personalised wallpaper, were you? No. I mean, yes, I get special dispensation. <laughs> you did. Yeah. Anyway, tonight, gentlemen, 
or today, because we don't know what time of day our listeners will be listening, apart from Stephen Day, it is a chance to talk about the Tomb of the Cybermen. Who's the TARDIS? It's my home. At least it has been for a considerable number of years. We're searching the universe for the last remains of the Cybermen. We know they died out many centuries ago. What we don't know is why they died out. Behold, gentlemen, tombs of the Cybermen. Oh, why couldn't you leave it alone? I don't know. Perhaps the Cybermen aren't quite as dormant as you imagine. You belong to us. Yes, yeah, that was. I discovered Doctor Who target books uh, living in Dundee, Dundee Library, and I fell in love with these books. And I still remember the front cover of Tomb of the Cybermen. And it, as it turns out, it wasn't the Cybermen that were in the broadcast. Uh, I think it was an invasion Cyberman. But that image stuck with me. I kept going back to that book and that cover, and that's what I saw. Uh, as I read the book, those are the Cybermen I saw. But what a fantastic bit of writing. I, I really should revisit it again. But there was so much more in the book. Uh, when I watched the the DVD, when I got it, not the DVD, the VHS, it was the story I remembered, but not with the depth. Mm-hmm. That's the one thing I would say about it. What about you, John? Do you remember when you first read it and what edition you got? Well, exactly the same as, as, as Stevie the invasion Cybermen on the cover uh, and, and exactly the same thing happened for me, obviously never having seen the story and maybe not having a clear image of, of any of the any of the, the, the still photographs from the telesnaps or whatever. Uh, I, I didn't know it any differently until until um, I saw the, the story itself. Well, not until I saw the story, but I always had a preference for the, the sleek outlines of the of the invasion Cybermen, and so it was a slight, maybe a slight disappointment. But I also had a bit of a false memory because for many years I still had that in my head as being written by uh, Terence Dix, and of course it wasn't. It was a Jerry Davis novelisation. But that came into my mind today as I was looking at Twitter, and there was a lovely uh, archival photograph of Terence Dix and signing stuff in Coat Bridge. Yes. Um, in 1979. So I think this novelisation came out the year before. So I was I was well well into my uh, love affair with target novelisations by that stage. Yeah. They reissued it, didn't they, with um, with the the proper Cyberman? Um, yeah. At some it, point, it, or maybe it was just. Uh-huh. There is an image with Tomb of the Cybermen, and what I can only describe 
uh, thinking about it now, is kind of the ashes to ashes uh, clown. That's what I see <laughs> now when I see that particular cover <laughs> because of the dome shaped and, and the colours that they mm -hmm. use. But yeah, there, there was, a, I think, a, an issue of the scripts or something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, uh, maybe that's what it was. Yeah, that was yeah. The script, the script book, yeah. An Alistair Pearson mm -hmm. cover. And they did use the, eventually use the VHS cover on a reprinted novelisation as well. So, yeah. Now, I was like you, I got that one as well. And I was always confused because obviously the Moonbase cover that I had had an Invasion Cyberman as well. So it was mm -hmm. quite a surprise, you know, looking at DWM over the years and seeing these pictures like, what story are these from? And then you realise eventually, oh, some creative licence. Because for me, that was how Cybermen looked with the extra earmuff bits on them. I have to say, that is still my, along with the Earthshock design, they're my favourites. There was a thing, though, that book you're talking about. It was called Doctor Who and the Cybermen, wasn't it? Yeah, that was the Moonbase. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The Moonbase. Moon that, yeah. that confused me as well, because at one point in my life, I thought, no, I'm missing a story here. I realised the two were the same. It's easily done. It's, that's the, the wonders of it. And don't tell me you were looking for the auto invasion as well. Yeah, probably. <laughs> None of this spearhead from space stuff. <sighs> Goodness me, no, the auto invasion, that's what it was called. Exactly. I'm surprised nobody's ever made up fan titles with that on it instead, but there we go. So Ooh. let's skip forward to early 1992. Where were you in life, Stevie, at that point, January 1992? And do you remember how you first heard about Toon? I think it's it's a, a bit rocky, this memory. I think I was just coming out of college. I think I'd either finished or it was my last year in college. And there was a, on a satellite television, I think it was, what was it, BSB? They'd done this whole Doctor Who weekend thing. And me and a pal had watched, we'd watched the whole weekend, the stuff we'd never seen. We had recorded it onto tape and oh, it was just amazing. Mm -hmm. and, I think it was round about that time we heard that the film had been discovered in Hong Kong and it was coming out. But I, I think there was a bit of disinformation that was kind of like, oh, well, you know, it's going to be coming out, but it needs work and it's going to be years. And then all of a sudden, three weeks, four weeks later, it was right, it's going to be in the shops. And I think we both, I don't think, I, I think I went out and bought it and I think I went back to my pals and we just sat and watched the entire thing in a one -er. I think with a wee bit of kind of like, wow, this is going to be great. And, and it was great, but also a bit of a, what if we just watched? And I seem to recall we watched again. So by the end of eight episodes, we were kind of a wee bit tired of it about that point and headaches and lots and lots of questions. But equally, equally, we loved it. Absolutely loved it. And I think, do you know, I um, I think it goes back to the Target books. You probably have watched Doctor Who with other people who have maybe haven't taken it quite as, um, what's the word, seriously as, as you feel that they should because they laugh at the wobbly sets and this happening and that happening. But like with so much stuff of that era, I get involved in the story and I don't notice that when the big gun comes out, the set wobbles at the back. I enjoy it for the story. And I think that's what the pair of us just, we just... You're, you're getting the enthusiasm. We loved it. Yeah, definitely. What about you, John? Where were you at the time? And what do you remember about when you first heard? Well, again, my, maybe my memory is getting a bit hazy, but uh, I was I was in Rome, living in Rome at the time. I was in, in college in Rome. And 
I've often spoken about this period, you know, in the early 90s as being something of my own Doctor Who wilderness years. A group of us would kind of gather on a, on a Sunday morning and watch reruns on UK Gold during that period. But then we were sort of forced into watching uh, Star Trek in the evening, the, the next generation. And there was there was a kind of a bit of thing where you were pre- presented with the kind of very slick production values of Star Trek and and then people saying, oh, yeah, see that stuff we saw in Underworld this morning and the CSO and blah, blah, blah. You were, you know, the head was down a little bit saying, oh, gosh, you know. So I heard about it through a friend in the English college in Rome who had a, some sort of connection um, with the Doctor Who world. And he kind of mentioned this to me. And I was kind of interested, uh, but I didn't, you know, I wasn't kind of, you know, saying I need to rush out and get this because I knew I wouldn't be able to rush out and get any because I wasn't wasn't living in the country. If memory serves, I don't know, did it did it come out as quickly as that? Did, was was it not a mountain? It was certainly a, right, right. Well, it was certainly it was certainly. I I didn't get back into the country until the summer, so it sounds like they wouldn't let me in. Probably wouldn't, <laughs> but uh, I didn't return uh, until until the summer. Uh, so uh, I had to I had to wait before I I got to see it. By that stage, I was very much watching it on my own, you know. So I didn't, I didn't share the pleasure with anyone, unlike Stevie. So yeah, but got the VHS and and really, yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll we'll talk a little bit about it, but I was really impressed by, especially the opening shots. They always said we're really lucky whenever whenever they filmed it that uh, they had a clear sky and then somehow it works really well in the black and white. So I was kind of yeah really drawn in from from the start. The only thing that I didn't really get, and it's still the case when I watch it now, I know what the Cybermen are saying, but that's only because I've read the novelization so many times. Uh, the, the, the voice, whatever ring modulation they use or whatever you would call it, I find the Cybermen quite hard to understand. And that kind of bizarre twanging that goes on um, when they were being attacked, I found that more um, comical than threatening. Yeah, I get that. I found out in the January, probably quite quickly after they'd been recovered, because I knew somebody who was an artist for InVision. You may remember the Doctor Who sort of behind the scenes magazine that was published and it was edited by Justin Richards and Peter Angelides. And I was told by the artist Raymond Twat. What? No, Twat, with a T at the start. And Raymond was connected because he did covers and he let everybody know that it had been found and recovered so it's like bloody hell it's like the holy grail of doctor who missing episodes has been recovered and really excited and coming back and remember buying dwb which had the like the cyber logo from the tomb on the front cover dwm doing a tomb of the cybermen cover as well and it was just such an exciting time being like new episodes i mean particularly at the time we were what three years into the world or just over two years into the world there's no years at this point and like some new episodes of Doctor Who see, which was exciting. And of course, there was still a whole load of stuff that hadn't been released at this point. So you're seeing stuff like the Sensorites and like you, Stevie, I had BSB and I'd seen a load of stuff I'd never seen before, but there was still plenty that I'd yet to experience and see. And I remember when I actually bought VHS, I remember buying it from Boots in East Kilbride and I remember going up, it was a bank holiday Monday and my mum and my sister and I went up to East Kilbride. They wanted to go to the shops got run up my mum was driving it was her blue Volkswagen Polo I remember it well D490 T00 where did that come from I don't know <laughs> anyway 
So I went to the shop and I went straight to Boots, got my videotapes, I got to the Cybermen and went straight back to the car. And then my sister and my mum must have been about another hour, maybe an hour and a half later. And I just must have read that sleeve cover over and over again and then looked inside it at the pictures of all the you know, other BBC videos. Could not wait to get home to watch it and obviously did watch it and enjoyed it. And because I was in the Glasgow Doctor Who group, there was you know, quite a few of us and you know, we spoke to each other and shared our thoughts on it. And yes, like you, Stevie, I did watch it twice that first day. But yeah, that's my basic tomb experiences as we start before we go into discussing it properly now. So, John, what do you think of the story now when we look back on it on vid-fired DVD when it looks just incredible? Yep, looks looks even better. Uh, as I said, that, that kind of opening shot really and, and those those opening scenes um, up on the kind of the cliff edge, uh, I, I don't think a black and white quarry has ever looked quite so properly alien uh, as, it, as it did there. No, so I, uh, apart from those niggles about the you know, the, the cyber voices. The story is kind of crammed full of, and again, it's one of these overused words, but literally iconic uh, Doctor Who moments with the, the cyber logo that you mentioned before on the on the tombs. Again, a, a, a well-realized um, shot there for the revivification of the um, of the frozen Cybermen. No, so I, I thought there were lots of good good things in it, a good solid cast. The, I, th I think, the, again, Troughton is on great form. Uh, that lovely dynamic with Victoria as well is established really quickly and the nice kind of little comical moments with the Doctor and Jamie holding hands and they're kind of like, oh, what would we do? <laughs> yeah. um, now that, that would have been fine nowadays, but you know, back in, back in those days that would have been regarded as highly amusing. So yeah, lots of yeah, lots of really good stuff, and yeah, the, the mini cyber mats, the cyber controller. Again, you know, the, the introduction of, of that that figure, a much trimmer figure than he reappears, as we said, in one of our previous podcasts before he he uh, he hit the Pringles. Happens to the best of us, I know. Cyber Pringles, John. Um, cyber <laughs> Pringles, of course. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, so good. Yeah, lots of lots of good stuff that I'll probably remember more of as we begin to talk. But uh, it's, it's still one that that works very well for me. I think there is that kind of also the element of Toberman beginning the process of being cyberneticized, or however you would call it, going through that cyber conversion process. I think that's really the first time that we see that, and that kind of you know it is a kind of a a moment of horror. Yeah, this mm. kind of process of this person is gradually going to be taken over by by that process but he resists and becomes the the hero in a sense no spoilers of course of course absolutely not and what about yourself stevie what were your particular highlights what are the things that you most fondly think of when you think of doom love the setting i loved lots of the establishing shots uh quarry stuff unusually worked really well I think the way they used the sets, and it really gave a, a, an aspect of scale. The main control room and the bits off it, you can imagine there was all kinds of bits and pieces everywhere. I, and you know, even the, the tombs themselves, I, I think given the space limitations they had in that studio, and they, they covered it very well, they tried not to show all of the tombs after they'd shown you the big tomb and stuff, but that's the only bit for me that really didn't work set-wise. 
but I, I love the I love the set pieces, or or even as I, I read today, not the set pieces like the hand holding. Apparently, that was um, that was just one of these things that Patrick Trout and Fraser Hines just decided to do and didn't tell the director. And once they'd done it, it was too late to do anything about it. And I think there's another line that says, "I'm not quoting directly, but you know, anyone who wants to leave, you you know, you can you can go. Not you, Jamie." You know, little throwaway lines like this, and you know it's it's pretty. It's a pretty violent show, um, when all's done, and you know the, the effects they used, however they did the guns, obviously not shooting at the people because they didn't want to hit them, but you know smoking bodies and everything else wouldn't be out of place, uh, you know, in in a in a gritty drama of its era that was designed for after the watershed. You know, I, I really like the concepts and what they were, what they were heading for. There's, a, like you, John, the the cyber voices, unless you're tuned into it, is tricky. I find them really tricky to do. I actually find it sometimes with big finish stuff. Still, when they mimic exactly that, it's just, especially if you're in a car, it's a wee bit tricky to, to catch. And the other thing was. Um, and I don't think it's the music per se, I think it's just the recording we get kind of clashes in a wee bit with it. And you know what, maybe that's not a highlight, but that's something that actually sticks out that that could have been, not at the time, but that's something that really, really jars in the in the production. But overall, you know, from beginning to end, there's so much, so much in it, so many set pieces, so many lovely actors in there with just these you'd expect them to have much more and then, no spoilers, suddenly they're dead. You know, it's, it's disappointing. You think, oh, I would like to see more of that. And highlight for me is, was his name Hopper? Yep, Captain Hopper. Captain Hopper. Loved that character. And I loved his number two. And I'm going to say a funny thing here. It's, it's a wee bit Forbidden Planet for me, the whole show. It's almost as if they're trying to do Forbidden Planet on a budget without Robbie the Robot. <laughs> because you've got, you know, the Americans coming in, there's the humour there, but there's the, the tension as well and trying to build these big sets. Yeah, and just you mentioned the set design, I mean that's something that in my notes that I scribbled down was just how good they are. The fact that they're so distinct from each other. You look at the main control room and you, I mean the size of that control room, they must have taken up most of the studio with that particularly given that they've got the big dialy bit that's spinning rounds constantly. And the fact that it's lit up, you've got different parts that they go off to through the doors with the cyber logo embossed above them, which actually says that the Cybermen must have been quite egotistical in some ways to actually have their own picture here, there and everywhere, which you'd have said that's almost pride. And <laughs> pride is an emotion and Cybermen don't have emotions, but we'll let that one go. But even simple things like the table that the, obviously the people sit round, then when you actually go down into the tomb itself, um, okay, maybe the corridors are a bit funny with that ziggy-zaggy, stripey pattern in the walls, which always makes me think of Christmas paper, but that's probably just me. But then you go into the tomb itself, and it is just fabulous. The fact that they've got the, vo the version on film, where it's the full set, and then they've just got the lower bit for doing the videotape stuff in studio, and it just is sumptuous. Cyber costumes, I quite like the design. It's not my favourite, as I said. Invasion is definitely my favourite of the of the classic, or definitely the black and white designs but most entertaining. And the tombs are, of course, as we said a couple of weeks ago, John, far better than Attack, which look like double glazing sales room doors. So yeah, they should have stuck with the original. It's also quite like the fact that you see little touches of that set design 
it reappeared in Nightmare in Silver when you had the sort of the steps in the cyber spaceship as well. So I quite like wee visual homages like that. So the late great Michael Pickwood knowing what he's doing. In terms of other stuff, I noticed you mentioned the cast there. What a great cast. I was actually just watching an episode of Out of the Unknown the other night, which had got George Pastel in it. It was Klieg. And yeah, he was very good in that as well. Quite um, quite a playing an unlikable character once again. But I do like that whole Brotherhood of Logicians thing. And there's just such a nice backstory there. And it applies, you know, it works so nicely with humans who want to be like Cybermen. And the ironic thing is the Cybermen will make them more like Cybermen than they could possibly imagine, which I really particularly enjoyed. Now, there's one element that neither of you have mentioned yet. And I've got it. I've actually just underlined it three times here. The music. How wonderful and how iconic is that score, considering it's a bit of stock music? That stock music? Uh, yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it, it certainly is iconic in the sense that, you know, I can hear it in my head. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's certainly true. Uh, it's certainly very loud as well. I think I think you were uh, referring to that, Stevie. As well, it kind of dominates. But yeah, but I wasn't aware that it was it was stock music. Well, they certainly got their their no money's worth out of it then. <laughs> Yes, you can hear there's all the music from Tim is playing behind us today, all stop music. And I've noticed that some of it has already shown up in Out of the Unknown as well, which I would hugely recommend if you haven't got it yet. It's about to be deleted by the BFI and it's 20 episodes of 60s sci-fi fantastic stuff. And uh, yeah, definitely recommended before it was out of stock. I, yeah. suppo- I suppose though it, it it it's of its time. When you think of Earthshock and the music they used for the Cybermen there, and the music that we're using there and it's of its time it's what people were thinking that is but volume volume needed to be way way dialed down in that one something else you said kenny and you maybe have to look back on this but i've seen the clip multiple times when cleek says what what does he pronounce himself as oh he's... Uh, there's the logicians but the brotherhood of logicians when you watch him say that Sometimes I'm hearing the Brotherhood of Magicians. I don't know if there's a slight fluffing of the line or bad edit, but I've seen it three or four times now, and I'm thinking it's almost magicians. Yeah. It could just be me and my ears, but you you should look back on that and see. It's probably what the magic circle become in the future. Yeah, I mean, if I was going to join a, a gang of, of big lads, I don't think the Brotherhood of Logicians would be the one that I would be, I'd be aiming for. I can't imagine them having a big night out. No, um, not maybe, a successful maybe, one anyway. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe a bit too much like the, the Doctor Who fan group uh, from Glasgow, uh, Kenny, which I was, never, I was never invited to, that's all I'm going to say. Well, I was out of the country for a lot of the time, but anyway. Well, there you go. Don't blame me. Move on. I'm going to move on I'm not better but there's also some silly bits in there that I really enjoy as well particularly when you've got Toberman picking up the empty cyber controller costume and throwing it across the room I do quite enjoy that that still makes me (laughs) laugh and the top of the head flops off and then you get Michael Kogaris obviously got himself back up and stuttering around and just going over one scene we haven't talked about yet is the that scene with the Doctor and Victoria talking about family And I think that is just such Mm -hmm. a touching scene. And that's something that we don't often get in classic Doctor Who, where we have these proper human emotion moments when Victoria is obviously distraught at having seen her father die. 
just a few are having been told her father's passed away. And I think that's such a nice tender moment and Troughton plays it so well with Debbie Watling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is it's, a beautiful moment, yeah. I think, you know, Doctor Who really shines with some of these moments. I think we had similar with uh third doctor and Joe various points. Um but that is that is a real poignant one when when they're talking about death and not minding remembering, you know. And also his family that you know he doesn't always remember, he has to think really hard. And, but I think that's travelled right through the show from there. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. definitely had a big influence and that's definitely something that I think Russell T has picked up on so yeah i think that's definitely one of those sort of it's one of those key moments if you're ever doing a best of doctor who clip show that's definitely one that you would put in there without a doubt yeah yeah agreed yeah Yeah. any other sort of closing thoughts on tomb of the cybermen i feel really sorry for toberman and there's a, a variety of reasons for that because i read the book first he's a much more sympathetic character in the book and he's also, I think he's got a hearing impediment and he's already halfway there. Well, not halfway there to cyber, cybernization. If you've got a hearing, hearing aid, that doesn't mean you're, you're, you're being converted. But, you know, this part that he was deaf and he had intelligence of his own and so on, it just doesn't come across on the TV thing. I don't know whether it's just lost in adaption or whatever. But, you know, I felt that that's one thing I felt was missing from you know different from the novelization to the to the televised thing and you know no spoilers he dies at the end they leave him he's dead and they make you know everyone else has been carted back to the rocket all the bodies i believe but no 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 we'll just leave him there oh look he's going to be eaten by cybermat that's sad yeah, yeah. the body's left he, behind he deserved better he did. I mean, he probably got converted into something. I think Kenny, you you alluded to that at some point. There's, there's some there's some short trip or whatever that he became the first or the next in the line of Cybermen. But yeah, I think he does get converted into compost at that point. But uh, uh, maybe that's just my dark humour. But yes, it is picked up on in uh, the recent The Fifth Doctor Adventures box set forty from Big Finish, which has uh, just been released. But that's another story mm. for another day. Mm. But gentlemen, let's pause for a moment because through the magic of our space-time telegraph, there's a voice from the past coming through. And it's our former co-conspirator, David Steele, with his thoughts on the Tomb of the Cybermen. Hello listeners, David here, David Steele. Kenny's asked me to contribute my thoughts on Tomb of the Cybermen. It's a story I remember buying, I remember buying the book in Woolworths and Paisley. And like a lot of people, I think, I learned about it being returned, you know, the episode, the actual episodes being returned from the front cover of DWB, which must have come out, I think, early 1992. For some reason, I thought I was still at school when I heard about it, but it couldn't have been, um, because the cover of DWB, which I've probably still got somewhere, used a detail from an, an Andrew Scaletta painting, I think, um, of the, the doors or the entrance to, to the tombs, which was probably from a calendar or one of his books or something. I remember when it was released that I bought it in Virgin in um, Argyle Street, same day as I bought the Claws of Axos, and it cost an extra pound. Um, Tomb of the Cybermen was a pound more expensive because they put this kind of silver foil on the cover, you know, for the for the lettering. And I remember sort of thinking, God, that's a bit, that's a bit much. And I also seem to remember a really vague introduction by the director. But it was really cool seeing it because there was so few 
Trouton stories at that point, I mean, it's still, still so few Trouton stories, we've had a couple, you know, come back since, obviously. I didn't mind the story when I watched it. I remember sort of thinking it was maybe a little bit um, overhyped previously. It wasn't quite the amazing classic that everyone sort of thought it was. But that happened a lot with um, a lot of the early VHS releases because you were seeing these stories that you'd read the books of and everyone had hyped for years and then you saw them and they weren't quite ever... They couldn't ever quite really be, you know, what you'd um, what you'd imagined. But when I watched it again, I remember around about 2009 when I was doing my... My one one and only watch through of Doctor Who from the very beginning, right up to date as it was. I loved it. I remember very clearly the morning after I'd watched the first couple of episodes of Tomb of the Cybermen, making my way into work and actually being properly sort of like, oh wow, I wonder what's going to happen next. So yeah, I think it's really good. It's very atmospheric. Fraser's brilliant, the Doctor's brilliant, Deborah's brilliant, an amazing, really amazing guest cast. The Cybermen are very effective, you know, um, some good cliffhangers and stuff. It's a shame that it's it's a story that um, a shame is maybe the wrong way of putting it. It's I kind of have an issue with the fact that it's been sequeled so many times, both in the series and in the spin-off media. I think sometimes a good story should just be left to stand for what it is. And Tomb of the Sidemen is definitely a really, really, really good story. Thanks for that, Dave. Well, back to the present. Thank you very much, gents, for joining me. I've thoroughly enjoyed chatting about the Tomb of the Cybermen and taking a wee trip down memory lane. I think we should reconvene again soon. Absolutely. Let's just make sure it's an episode I've actually watched, Kenny, because I have tried to watch them all. Yeah. I haven't watched everything. Yeah. Well, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. You can find me on Twitter at FinishedZine, or you can find The Power of Three at Power of Three Pod. That's three with the number three. John, where can people find you? They can find me on Twitter at DrJMcGB, and that's it. Yeah. I'm not on Insta or. Uh, Facebook anymore Stevie where can people find you you can find me on Twitter at Stargate42films there we go that's nice and easy oh Stargate what a theme tune David Arnold genius well John I believe you've got a question for me yeah well I've just had a text from the uh, the Brotherhood of Magicians and they've asked me to ask you uh, Kenny what are you going to play us out with this episode well, John, I'm glad you asked me that, but since we've talked about it, it seems only fair that we play out with a good proper tune. And let's go with Space Adventure Part 2 by Martin Slavin, that wonderful bit of stock music that we know as the Cyber March. So, everybody, thanks for listening. I've been Kenny Smith. I've been John Bolan. And I'm still Stephen Day. We'll be back soon. Bye-bye, everybody. 